You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. If you've watched sports on television at any point in the last 40 years, you'll recognize the voice of Jim Nance. Jim has broadcast the Final Four for more than 30 years, following several years as a studio host for CBS. He's also the lead play-by-play man for CBS's NFL, college basketball, and PGA Tour coverage. His hello friends greeting is his trademark, along with his silky smooth delivery that just makes the listener feel comfortable. Former golfer at the University of Houston, he has established himself as one of the preeminent broadcasters in sports television history. Jim, thanks for taking the time out of your schedule and welcome to Sports Connections. Well, thank you for that really kind introduction, David. I really appreciate it. It's great to be with you. All right. Well, real quickly, I know you're limited on time. Just tell us how you got involved in sports broadcasting. Was that always your plan? Childhood dream. It's as simple as that. Since I was 11, I became obsessed with the idea of how I was going to get there. That became, uh, for me, during my teen years, an obsession. I, I know that sounds like a strong thing to say, but it really was something that I, I thought about every day. Every day I talked about to my friends and family, how I wanted to work for CBS one day, specifically the, uh, this network, because it broadcasts the Masters, and I love the way CBS broadcasts the NFL. So anyway, I, I went to school to study it at the University of Houston, communications. I got some opportunity uh, while I was in school and, and kind of doubled down on every single effort that I got. By the time I graduated in four years from, from Houston, I had already worked for two years at the CBS television affiliate as an anchor, and I had a sports call-in show on the CBS radio affiliate, much like this. And, um, you know, I, I, I was aggressively pursuing opportunity, and thankfully, doors were opening. And lo and behold, about three and a half years out of college, I got an opportunity. I guess it was four years after I graduated, I got an opportunity to to audition for CBS. This is in 85. And I won the audition against four others. And I've been there ever since, like you said, almost 40 years. It's been, this is my 37th football season. Wow. That's, that's impressive. I think we're about the same age. I graduated from college in 81. Uh, and I know you were roommates with Fred Couples at Houston. He must've had a little better golf game because you were there on a golf scholarship, if I'm not mistaken. But you have carved a very successful career in your own right. What's your favorite sports to broadcast? Is it your first love of golf? Is it college basketball? Is it pro football? Or as as my Ooh. friend Dick Enberg, Enberg used to say, whatever's in season. Yeah, I didn't know Dick said that. That's a good thing to be able to, to borrow that line because you know, I'm a father of three. So I have these three primary events. One leads eventually to calling the Super Bowl. I've, I've been a broadcaster on eight of our Super Bowls. I've had 36 Final Fours and championship games in some capacity. I've had 36 Masters tournaments. So they're all special. It's like when you're a dad, you don't love one child more than another. But I will say this, just in my heart is, is the golf. It's, a, it's just, by the way, thank you for giving me so much credit for my golf game. I was not on scholarship. I was there as a quote-unquote, coaches walk-on. Um, <laughs> I was around a lot of talent. I uh, definitely was surrounded by, by people who could really play, like Freddie, like Blaine McAllister. And, and um, so golf is very personal. It's deep in my heart. I think the NFL, on a week-to-week -week basis, the stadium coming to life and all of that, 
it's about, for me, it's about as good as it gets. I love the Sundays with Romo. But then you get into March Madness and you're doing four games in one day and the rush that comes with that, you say, how is anything better than this? So I'm going to steal it for the first time. You gave it to me. As Dick Enberg said, I live season to season. Yeah. And and I was actually sitting behind you when uh, Maryland, Baltimore County beat Virginia the first 16 over one season, one seed. I'm sure you've got highlights. We don't have time for you to go through that, but maybe uh, in the off season, if you ever have an off season, uh, we'll get you back on and just simply do a, a, a recount of some of your favorite highlights uh, through the years. But what I want to jump to uh, is, and you've told me before that when you leave the final four and head to the masters, you're trying to talk about golf. You're trying to immerse yourself in golf and who's playing well and all that. And all the golfers want to talk about is the NCAA tournament. Is it hard for you to calm down and be prepared for the calmness of golf? Well, I don't think it's hard to kind of get your voice at the level that golf needs to be. You naturally conform to what you're surrounded by. You're not inside of an arena with people at a fevered pitch. They get excited when there's a great shot or a putt that is hold. Um, but I, I think it's more of just dealing with the fatigue factor. I know no one wants to throw a pity party for me, and I get it. I count my blessings that I get to go from the NCAA Final Four to the Masters in a matter of hours. Uh, but the tournament is more than just the Final Four for me. It's like right. you just mentioned UNBC. That was a first-round game. That was a day that I called four games that day in Charlotte. Right. That was four. We are on from midnight and uh, – sorry, noon until midnight. And if you back it up, with the big 10 tournament that's the week prior to the start of the NCAs where we do the semis and the championship game, I'm calling 15 games in 23 days. So it is when you take in all of the preparation that yeah. has to be done and how much you exert as far as energy calling all these games, you're pretty flat. I mean, you're physically a little worn out. Yeah. Uh, you're going to the masters and you just have to kind of regroup. But when you come down Magnolia lane for that first time, and you look around and you, you know, you realize you're at Augusta yeah. and you look over and you see Jack Nicholas and Gary player and other great players of the past. Uh, it's pretty easy to get reset. And again, if you if you play it like I do, David, from the heart, yeah. that's what guides me and leads me. I feel so grateful to be at any of these events. So when I'm at Augusta, I'm just overwhelmed with gratitude because that was the tug that first started it for me as the 11 year old was the masters. Okay. Uh, you know, it's interesting. It obviously it's going to be different sport to sport, but how do you view your role as a play-by-play man? And you just said something that I think really leads into that. It's from the heart. It's, you know, you're basically, it's almost like you're preaching a sermon. You're not talking about your words. You're trying to pass along God's words in this, in this case, you're just trying to share your own experience how do you how do you view your role as a play-by-play man? Yeah, well, you know what? I like the way you said that. So I'm taking all of that in uh, because there's a lot what you said there that is so true that is seldom expressed or articulated by people. And that is the game is an experience. I'm not there to call it like a radio play-by-play announcer would because the listener needs their set of eyes. They need to be told what's happening because they can't see it. So in our case, as a television broadcaster, you're trying to accentuate 
what the storylines are, what the atmosphere is. You want people to feel like they're there without over-talking, without beating them over the head with minutia. Um, I think being conversational is really key. And a lot of that is driven by the relationship you have with your on-air partner. In my football case, of course, that would be um, that would be Tony Romo. And we have nothing but a running conversation. It's magic between the two of us. And I feel the same way, by the way, with uh, Bill Raftery and Grant Hill. Um, I, I feel like I'm a paid observer, if, if that makes any sense. CBS pays me to be there and tell people what I see and feel that the viewer can't see and feel. Sounds a little weird, but I think that's what it is. We're storytellers. That's kind of what we are. We're storytellers. And um, I love that responsibility. And golf is really a pure, probably the purest storytelling format that you have. You're speaking at a level kind of like we are right now. You're not fighting against an energy wave to try to bring your voice over and cut through. You're talking as if it's almost a fireside chat. And you have longer stretches at certain points to get into the subjects that you're covering. You don't have uh, the repeating play, reset with a huddle, play, reset with a huddle, play. You can sometimes take the last hole of a major championship. You might have 15 minutes to bring the champion home up the 18th hole, up the 72nd hole. And it's a great challenge and demand, and it's a fulfillment, if you feel like you did it right, of, of capturing what that moment meant to that individual. And I'm, I'm real good friends with a couple of uh, local radio broadcasters, radio and TV broadcasters here in Kansas City, who do both. And they talk about the difference. The radio, you're telling the story because, as you said, the listener can't see it. And in, t- in TV, you're really setting up your, your analyst and you're kind of capturing the the uh, the whole atmosphere, not necessarily what's going on. The picture tells what's going on and you're setting up the analyst. Do you have favorite memories of working with particular, I mean, because you worked with with uh, Billy Packer for years. You've, you've had some great, uh, great colleagues. Do you have some favorite moments when you set somebody up perfectly and they delivered a famous line that I'm not even sure if I'm asking this right, but where you feel like you played a role in somebody else achieving. I never thought of it that way. I have been blessed to work with people. You mentioned Billy. He's still going strong. He's in his eighties. Now he's in Charlotte. We had 18 years together. I cherished every single minute of it. We were in a lot of respects, kind of like what it is with, with Tony right now in football. We were two guys that loved being at the game. We were two buddies that wanted to be just sitting there watching the game, whether we were on CBS or in our own living rooms yeah. and we were kind of just talking back and forth. And my play by play is again, what people call it for college basketball has never been less play by play in my life than it was when I was with, with Billy because Billy and I just kind of had a running conversation. And at times I'd acknowledge the basket was made by that was a rebound by so-and-so, but we yeah. were into the history, the strategy and, and it sounded like a conversation. I think that not everyone looks at that job that way. I've always wanted it to go down that path and avenue. I've wanted to have that shared experience with, with, uh, with the analysts. And I've had great, great analysts to work with. I can't think of anything 
that I set up anyone for where I would give myself any credit for that moment. Um, but I know this, uh, if I had to sit down and tell you all the people I've worked with, I've had nothing but, but really, really good ones. And, uh, yeah. they've made my life complete out here in, uh, in, in the broadcasting world. And, you know, it, you keep mentioning Tony Romo. I have to tell you, I was skeptical. I thought, oh, he's only getting the job because he's a former Cowboys quarterback and all former Cowboys quarterbacks get into broadcasting. You guys really mesh together. Are you as good friends off the off camera as it as it sounds like when you're on camera? We were friends for long before CBS decided to uh, create the marriage. Uh you go back to when Tony first became the starting quarterback for Dallas. Uh, you know, I'm going back to his career as undrafted, you know, came out of Eastern Illinois. And then uh, I got to know him whenever I'd be on campus for a Cowboys game, 06, 07, 08, 09. And he was such a golf fan that he always had questions for me about what it's like out there. He would watch all of our broadcasts. He even said his favorite sports memory as a kid growing up was when we came on the air at the 98 Masters and the cold open to the broadcast on Sunday was a shot of Jack Nichols about to hit his second shot at two. And we come up on the air and the first thing I said, welcome to the final round of the Masters. And you are not going to believe what you are about to see. Jack Nicholas at age 58 is making a charge here in the final round. And anyway, went through a series of, of birdies that Jack made and he said, he remembers jumping out of his chair. They had just come home from church up in Burlington, Wisconsin. He almost hit his head on the ceiling. He says he just had chill bumps. You know, we didn't have the access to the internet where you could see what's going on before the broadcast came on. You had to wait, and all of a sudden, there might be somebody that wasn't even in the picture, but by the time he came on the air, it's a surprise to everyone. Oh, my gosh, Jack Nicholas is in contention here. So, anyway, that friendship was, was uh, in place for a long, long time. And when we became partners on the air in 2017, we didn't have to work on creating chemistry. In fact, I don't think you can tell two people, go create chemistry. It has to happen, Dave, organically. You have to really like someone, have common interests, and we had all that. So we had a running start going in the game, our first game. And I got to tell you, I know a lot of people were like you, skeptical. I never felt in my life more of a deadlock cinch that it was going to be great. Than, than I did before we even did our first on-air show. I knew, I knew how good Tony was going to be. And uh, what, a, what a fun time it's been. Well, you can tell him that he has certainly won over a critic because I, I can't wait to game your Sunday games with him because he is, he, one, he's very smart. You know, he, he will predict plays so well, but he's, he doesn't take himself too seriously. He doesn't take the game too seriously. He just, like you mentioned, it's just like two guys sitting sitting in the living room watching a game. And so I appreciate that greatly. I always wrap up my interviews and I appreciate your time and your busy schedule. I always wrap up my interviews with this question. What's your legacy? Oh, boy. Well, of course, what I hope my legacy is, is to be regarded as a great father and husband. And I've got three wonderful kids. So it always starts there. And to be uh, kind and considerate to everyone. I think my greatest legacy I would like it to be is the Nance National Alzheimer's Center that my wife and I opened down at Houston Methodist Hospital. We just celebrated our 10-year anniversary last week, and we've gone from scratch to where 
We've had funding from the private sector, from government grants, on and on, into tens of millions of dollars. And we put a team together that I think beats all. I would say our researchers, neurologists, and doctors, we probably have the best assemblage of talent to study and beat this insidious disease in any place in the world. Now, I, I give you, I'm jaded. It's named after my father, the Nance National Alzheimer's Center. My dad lost his life to Alzheimer's in 2008. So what I would like my legacy to be would be that I was a part of a team that rolled up their sleeves and figured out a way to be a part of a collaboration that would one day find a treatment and ultimately a cure for Alzheimer's. That would supersede anything by, you know, I can't even put the quotient on by infinity of anything I could have ever done in broadcasting. And broadcasting, I would just like the people to think I did a nice, honest day's work for a long, long time and that I loved every minute of it. And that, that I do. Personally, thank you for that. Uh, both of my in-laws are in the early stages of Alzheimer's. So they're, they still remember us, but I, I appreciate that effort very much. Uh, Jim, thank I appreci appreciate you joining us. Uh, I'll work with Melissa to try and get up a another time, maybe in the off season to, uh, <clears throat> we can just chat about some of your favorite memories and some of your partners. But thank you very much for joining us. Uh, you actually gave me some a couple really good thoughts today that uh, the Inberg line was, uh, was gold for me. And the other thing is the way you described the way the games are done. That's, that's good stuff. So I'm stealing a little bit of what your thoughts were, and I'm, I appreciate that. No problem. <laughs> my pleasure. Good talking to you, my friend. We'll visit again sometime. See you, buddy. Bye-bye. Right. Thank Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.